trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, today, I feel like I'm actually putting some effort into things. I joke around with my friends. Actually, I joke anybody who tells me, hey, I'm going to check your show out. I'm going to see I'm going to see what you're really all about. I promise them, you know, now I'm going to start putting some effort into it now that I know somebody's listening. But today it is requiring effort, and it's it's not because I know somebody's listening. It's requiring effort because I don't know if it's the smoke in the air or what, but man, I cannot stop sneezing. I can't stop, uh, you know, blowing my nose. This is the worst allergies I have had in a long time. And here's the crazy part about it. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way, but anytime you sneeze, especially in public, anytime you have to blow your nose, anytime you have the sniffles, you kind of want to look around, make sure nobody's going to mistake. It's not COVID. It's not COVID. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not sick. But I feel like, oh, my goodness, you don't want to cough in public. You don't want to sneeze. You don't want to give any indication that uh, that you might be one of the dreaded carriers of COVID. What a crazy time. What an absolutely insane time to live in. And yet... I feel optimistic in the sense that we're living through some truly historic things. And and that doesn't mean necessarily they're going to be comfortable. That just means that, you know, there's there's some very impactful stuff that's taking place right now. We're a part of it. And I just can't shake this sense that uh, there's there's purpose in what's taking place. Not so much, you know, like, uh, how can I put this? I... I look at it this way. I think that uh, that we have all been handed an absolutely incredible opportunity to play a part in some truly historic things that are going on. And I don't care if it's a big part or a small part. You know, it's 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 not a matter of, well, did you get a lot of press? Did you uh, get the Nobel Peace Prize or anything like that to show that you were a part of it? I think it's more a matter of every one of us has a role to play and... If we play it, with God's help, we will make the difference that we were individually born to make. I know that sounds lofty, but I feel it to my bones. In fact, programs like this one, programs like mine exist in part to help provide encouragement and insights into what's going on around us. A big part of what I do, as you may have noticed, is I try to help people withstand the daily barrage of official agitprop. We hear the term misinformation thrown around today, but the funny thing is the people who are most desperate to control misinformation seem to be the biggest purveyors of misinformation. And, and it sure feels for all the world like that misinformation has the purpose of keeping us, you know, maybe not so much totally in the dark, but just not getting too close to the truth. If we get too close to the truth, we might stop believing or at least stop you know, being held in thrall to, to whatever those in power or who wish to have power over us want us to believe. Well, I came across an article and I want to share this with you. I thought this was a very useful one. This is a, a down-and-dirty guide to recognizing regime propaganda. 
And you're going to learn some new terms here. But this is really useful stuff. Michael Anton is the author. This was published on AmericanMind.org. And the title is, That's Not Happening, and it's good that it is. <laughs> you confused? Okay, listen. This, this is his explanation. He says, gaslighting getting you down, feeling like the regime has dialed the megaphone up to and past 11. Well, you're not crazy. It's definitely happening and likely to get worse as our master's ability to cope with reality further worsens. Or worse, they gain the complete and absolute control they seek. They're both scornful and terrified of dissent, which explains why they incessantly shriek at us and lie to our faces. So to help you navigate the twit storm, Michael Anton says, I present a guide to seven of the regime's most common, oft-employed lies. Now, this is not meant to be comprehensive. He says, I'm sure these are tactics they use that either I haven't, or there are tactics, rather, they use that I haven't crystallized or that aren't front of the mind at the moment. He says, I encourage others to expand the catalog with their own observations. The better we can understand how they try to manipulate us, the better we can resist and counter it all. So let's start with the unholy trinity of ruling class horse manure. These first three are similar, but subtle differences determine the ways they're used in differing circumstances. The first one is the law of merited impossibility. Now he says, the coinage is Rod Dreher's, and it goes back to the early debates on homosexual marriage. As Dreher formulates it, the law of merited impossibility holds that that will never happen. And when it does, boy, will you homophobes, transphobes, racist, sexist, or whatever deserve it. So this law is first used to disarm resistance to the latest leftist enthusiasm. Whatever the innovation is, it will have no adverse consequences. None. Puberty blockers, disfiguring surgeries have no downsides whatsoever. How dare you suggest they might? And its second purpose is to dismiss out-of-hand slippery slope arguments. Despite or because of the fact that every single argument over the past 20 years at least has proved true. Worried that allowing people to self-identify as whatever sex they want will lead to pervy 50-year-old men exposing themselves to tween girls? insist loudly and indignantly that will never happen. And anyone who suggests it might is just an alarmist bigot with a heart full of hate. Now, the third purpose is to enforce the new caste system. Those who get to impose fresh irrational irrational indignities on the rest of us are the upper caste. Those who harbor or even have reservations are lower. The latter are not allowed to harbor much, less express any doubts. Whatever humiliation the upper caste has planned for us, we deserve and must meekly accept. So when said pervy 50-year-old actually does start waving around her equipment in the girls' locker room, if any parent dares object, let him have it with both barrels. That thing that 10 seconds ago you said would never happen, now it's righteous punishment for the retrograde. Michael Anton says the law of merited impossibility has done wonders for the left in helping to ram through a wide variety of radical societal changes and cow into silence all opposition. It's currently busy destroying girls' and women's sports, an outcome that we were assured would never happen. Though one wonders what the ladies did to deserve it. Now, the law is a bit passe, however, because our rulers rarely feel the need to reassure normie Americans that everything will turn out okay. 
that the things we most fear won't happen. Mostly, the holders of the megaphone just skip to the second half. The angry insistence that we deserve it. Okay, here's the next one. The Celebration Parallax. A parallax is the apparent difference in position of the same object seen from different vantage points. For instance, an analog speedometer that reads 60 miles per hour to the driver, but 50 to the passenger. You know, that, that even though the needle itself is only in one place. It's a matter of where you happen to be standing or sitting, as the case may be. The celebration parallax could be stated as the same fact pattern is either true and glorious or false and scurrilous, depending on who states it. So in contemporary speech, any controversial topic, or to say a better uh, regime priority, the factor, the decisive factor that you're looking at is the intent of the speaker. If she can be presumed to be celebrating the phenomenon under discussion, she may shout her approval from the rooftops. If not, he better shut up before someone comes along to shut him up. Now note also the key distinction here is celebration versus non-celebration. Not support versus opposition. So one need not actually clearly oppose the subject under discussion in order to be blameworthy. Declining or neglecting to celebrate it forcefully enough is enough. As in Stalin's Russia, lack of enthusiastic clapping is regarded as opposition. The legitimacy of one's right to state the same identical fact in the same identical language depends on who one is and what one thinks of it. And since the left assumes that all persons of color approve of the phenomena covered by the celebration parallax, the parallax is really a test to distinguish allies from deplorables. Now he says, to the best of my recollection, the origin of the celebration parallax arose from the need to defend affirmative action, a very unpopular policy since its inception. And the party line therefore goes like this. People of color must be granted explicit explicit preferences to overcome America's legacy of racism so that we may diversify America's power centers and end white male dominance, a move that in addition to being necessary to address the country's racism, improves these institutions by infusing them with different and hitherto neglected points of view. Also, kids of color need role models who look like themselves. I'm going to come back to this in a few moments. But are you starting to see the picture? I think this is a pretty great article. You'll find it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, our program is brought to you by great sponsors who you will find handily listed in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. They include MonticelloCollege.org, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, LifesavingFood.com, Pure-Light.com, and HSLAmmo.com. Just wanted to mention who they are and where you can find them. So I'm sharing this article from Michael Anton. And it's a down-and-dirty guide to regime propaganda, how to see through it, and how to uh, counter it. And he's giving an example here of uh, what's called the celebration parallax, meaning depending on who you are, you know, and what you're celebrating, uh, that's 
you have to, if you're an ally or if you're opposition, that determines whether what is being said is acceptable or not. And he gives the example here of affirmative action, a very unpopular policy since its inception. Because according to the official line, people of color must be granted explicit preferences to overcome America's legacy of racism so that we may diversify America's power centers and end white male dominance. A move that in addition to being necessary to address the country's inherent racism, improves these institutions by infusing them with different and hitherto neglected points of view. Also, kids of color need role models who look like themselves. But, he points out, there is no such thing as reverse discrimination, which is itself a racist term, and there are no quotas, another racist term, whatsoever, but only timetables, goals, and measures to evaluate applicants and candidates holistically. Now, Michael Anton says, on no subject is the parallax more prevalent than immigration. Depending on who's doing the talking, the demographic transformation of the United States is either a glorious trend that portends a permanent democratic majority and a more vibrant future, or else a conspiracy theory that is not happening in any way at all, no how. He says the left insists that concerns from certain quarters that immigration policy in America and Europe amounts to a great replacement is dangerous, evil, racist, false conspiracy theory. But a leftist New York Times columnist can write an article entitled, We Can Replace Them, and nothing. Same fundamental point, except she's all for it, and her targets aren't. A U.S. senator can exult that demographic change will doom Republicans. Joe Biden himself can refer to an unrelenting stream of immigration, except they're celebrating it and calling for it. Anyone on the right who uses the exact same words will not merely be denounced, the very fact pattern that is affirmed when Biden uh, says it will be denied when the rightist repeats it. Next, you have the law of salutary contradiction, whose formulation is, that's not happening, and it's good that it is. (laughs) So while the law of merited impossibility applies to the future, this one's about the present. It's what the ruling class immediately switches to after what they insisted would never happen is happening before everyone's eyes. For instance, is the NSA spying on Tucker Carlson? That's an insane conspiracy theory, which is also warranted by Tucker's treasonous contacts with Russian officials as he seeks an interview with Putin. Is the Biden administration investing in illegal immigrants and then inviting in illegal immigrants rather than putting them on military planes and shipping them to the heartland? Absolutely not. And these future Nobel Prize winners deserve their shot at the American dream. Michael Anton says, once you learn to recognize this pattern, you see it everywhere. It is the cornerstone of ruling class rhetoric in the current year. Next, we have the Smales exhortation. Turning from the unholy trinity, we see that the ruling class condemns all of us as entitled bores. In their eyes, we deserve nothing. We have no reasonable wants nor any just complaints. Our only role is to accept getting nothing and learning to like it. Our masters bleat about democracy, but have defined the word to mean getting exactly what we, in other words, they, want. Any ostensibly democratic outcome that might result in us getting what we want is ipso facto illegitimate. Border wall, fascist. Immigration enforcement, racist and fascist. Law and order, double racist and fascist. Better trade deals, economically illiterate. An end to endless wars, 
catastrophic and also somehow anti-Semitic. Penis-free girls' bathrooms, transphobic. No matter is too small, too local, too private, or too inconsequential to escape their gaze and slip their punishment. Bake the cake, bigot. He says mostly what they bleat, though, is anti-American, anti-white, anti-conservative, anti-Christian, anti-rural, anti-Southern, anti-red state, anti-redneck, anti-working class hate. Every media organ and cultural citadel blares this message loudly and incessantly. And the purpose is hard to figure. On one hand, it's demoralizing, which certainly serves ruling class ends, and it fires up their coalition. On the other hand, if you're trying to boil a frog... It's best not to tell him the plan, as he might try to jump out of the pot. Which brings us to the lie-back imperative. This tactic and the next one are related to what Steve Saylor called the war on noticing. See, the regime knows it's in a difficult rhetorical position. The heart of its argument is that some people are inherently innocent and good, while others are inherently guilty and bad and must be treated accordingly. Now, to ears insufficiently attuned to this new understanding of justice... This can sound unjust. Tying moral worth to circumstances of birth, not treating people equally, punishing the living for the sins of the dead? Why, all this is contrary to appearances, logic, and common sense, just requires considerable explanation. Now, to the extent that people get it, they will sharply divide between those who say that the advantaged have it coming and those who object, no, I don't. He says the problem for the regime, therefore, is that while its message is very effective, effective rather, at egging on its own side, it can be equally effective at alarming and rousing its targets. The ideal solution would be to come up with a public message that rallies the regime's base while lulling its targets. But this turns out to be very difficult, if not impossible. Another option is to forbid the targets from speaking up, hence the celebration parallax. But the regime's preferred mode is not merely to allow its targets to speak, but to require it, so long as the targets deny the regime apparatchik who said what she said. Hence the response to, you are evil and deserve what's coming to you, must be, you don't think ill of me and wish me no harm. Every punch in the face must be publicly rationalized by the victim as a massage. The purpose is partly to bully the frog into staying in the pot and partly a matter of humiliation. In the oft-quoted words of Anthony Daniels, a society of emasculated liars is easy to control. Now, a great many conservatives are not merely willing but eager to play along. Indeed, whole institutions of the establishment right do little else but reassure their ostensible constituency that the left not only doesn't mean its proto-genocidal rhetoric, but isn't even saying it. It's an odd feature of the current year that calling a, an avowed enemy a liar, publicly insisting that her plain words could not possibly mean what they plainly say, not only fails to provoke an angry denial, but is welcomed by the liar herself. Anything to keep the regime's targets sonambulant for as long as possible. The more Americans who wake up and realize the contemporary leftism is a revenge plot with themselves as its target, the more will object and try to stop it. This is what the regime at present most fears and is trying to prevent. Now, the final one is the enmity, the enmity counter-accusation. And this is perhaps the most brazen. Basically, the enemy calls you its enemy for recognizing its enmity. 
So as region as regime hacks spew vile, borderline, sometimes explicitly violent rhetoric at you, they will immediately wheel and counterattack if you dare object. Don't appreciate being called evil because of your race? Why, then you are divisive. Dare put up your hands to block an incoming punch? That's violence. You're just supposed to take it. I got to pump the brakes here because we are fast coming up on our break, but tell me that you don't recognize examples of this being used or you don't recognize it to, you know, taking place. This is the down and dirty guide to regime propaganda, and these are some useful tools, even if you don't remember them all right off the top of your head. You should check out the article linked in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. We'll be back in a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Really enjoying this article by Michael Anton. That's not happening, and it's good that it is. This is this is one of the better breakdowns I've seen of some of the, the more common propaganda techniques that we are likely to encounter on a daily basis. And if there's one thing that I could urge just in, in way of caution, it's, you know, it's good to know about these things just so you can recognize it. You don't fall prey to it. You're not able to be manipulated. I think my goal more than anything here is not to get you upset at the elites and the way that they're manipulating things like this. So much as just to recognize it and and to, in whatever way you deem most uh, feasible, become an unplayable piece on their chessboard. Let me put that another way, because it's, mo- it's mainly politicians and, and some of their hangers on who seem to, pu- to uh, uh, push this, this point of view. You need to become ungovernable to them. Yeah, I understand. That's a, that's a pretty radical thing to say. And yet I think it's more of a matter of survival than not. They're enemies who treat you like enemies while they insist that you treat them like friends. At least, though, unlike the housebroken right, they'll stab you in the front. Michael Anton says a related point is that if you so much as speculate as to where their insane vitriol might lead the country, you will be accused of wishing for that outcome. It's entirely possible that decades of anti-American, anti-white, anti-Christian animosity coupled with nation-destroying trade, immigration, and foreign policies will not lead to civil war. Then again, it's entirely possible that they might. And if they do, the ruling class and the left will bear the blame. Naturally, though, they will blame us. In fact, he says, indeed, they already are. Attempts to head off such a conflict by warning about it are treated as provocations intended to produce such conflict. One can be forgiven for wondering if their plan is to start it and then say, we started it, sort of like insisting Poland triggered the Second World War by shooting back. You're worthless, baby, and if you even think you're trying to leave me, I'll kill you. So this brings us to the very last uh, of of these uh, bits of establishment propaganda. Deplorable Americans are loudly and incessantly said to be the worst incessantly said to be the worst people in the history of the planet. Pure, unadulterated evil with no legitimate concerns, interests, or grievances. And Michael Anton says, Well, okay, then why live with us? Why treat as anathema even the most moderate, banal attempt 
to allow some measure of federalism and local control. He says there can only be two answers. Either our masters know or into it deep down that we can live without them, but they can't live without us, or else they want to keep us around to administer what they view as a deserved punishment. Now, he says, being neither a psychologist nor a theologian, I could not say whether the roots of this behavior are psychotic or demonic. But in this layman's judgment, it exhibits key characteristics of both. But he says, understand this. They hate you and want you canceled and ostracized or at least utterly subservient and obedient. You owe them no consideration. Their every argument, every sentence, every word are proffered in bad faith. As Mary McCarthy said of Lillian Hellman, every word she writes is a lie, including and and the. Michael Anton says the regime is powerful, which means we must calibrate our resistance carefully. But to think clearly, our minds must be free, which requires understanding its rhetoric and seeing through it. And he says, I hope this short guide is useful in that effort. Look, I don't know very many people who, you know, want to become a full-time culture warrior. I think the ones who want to are already doing it. But they're most likely the ones all clad in black out there bashing fascists in the face because uh, that person won't chant with them in unison or march in lockstep with them. I suspect most of us just want to be left alone to pursue happiness on our own terms. And for some reason, that is an intolerable desire, at least to the people and the, the, the people who administer the systems that want to rule us. You've got to become that unplayable piece. And you've got to recognize, too, when, when you're actually being abused. I'm going to shift gears here. I want to talk just for a moment about, uh, about a, th- a piece from Jeff Minnick published on everything, oh, sorry, intellectualtakeout.org. Got to get my, my sources right here. For some people, the thought that we're even being abused at the hands of the political classes is a difficult thing to consider, let alone accept. But I want you to hear what Jeff Minnick has to say about this. And he starts with a story. He says, when I went to pick up my laundry last week, one of the employees who had just finished folding my clothes began weeping. This is the last load I'll ever do here, she said in a choked voice. They're letting us all go. That one little stifled sob described more than just one woman bemoaning the loss of her job. In it was the relentless cry of the average American who was increasingly crushed by the ignorance of our elites. Now, Jeff Minnick said, I've known this woman and her co-workers for over a year. And when I found out it cost me only a few bucks extra to have them do my laundry, a task I dislike, I told myself, I'm never washing clothes again. Ever since that day, one of these women, whom I always tip generously, has performed that chore. And now the new owner of the laundromat is getting rid of them. Now, he says all of these women are at least 60 years old. In fact, one of them was working there at age 86 until she had a fall at home. They're overweight and out of shape and as country as pickup trucks and hound dogs. Some have worked at the laundromat for more than 20 years. He says, I'm going to miss these women. A friend wondered aloud whether the new owners might offer to retrain them for another job, which caused me to laugh bitterly. That's for corporations and management. In their eyes, people like those ladies are trash. He says, an excellent excellent analysis of the war the elites and our politicians are waging on the poor and middle class is seen in Christopher Bedford's A Seven-Day Journey Through the Revolt Against the American People. 
He points out the many abuses our elites committed during the Wuhan virus shutdowns, as well as their responsibility for the skyrocketing crime rates in our country, their indifference to our children's terrible school experiences during the pandemic closures, and their blithe determination or their termination of thousands of jobs in our fossil fuel industry. Bedford rightly notes the top echelons of society don't know or they don't remember what it's like to work by the hour, and they don't care about the people who do. Later, he writes, every single day, more and more Americans are finding their lives held hostage by the ideology of an elite that has the privilege of avoiding nearly all consequences for its own actions. Now, Bedford is right on target here. It wasn't the rich who suffered unemployment and homes lost to foreclosure during the pandemic. It wasn't the elites whose children received a lousy education when schools closed. It isn't our wealthy politicians who live in the foul, dangerous neighborhoods of our inner cities. Yet on they go, ordering the rest of us about like the serfs some of us are becoming. Blind to the suffering of so many of our citizens, or worse, throwing money at problems that instead demand a commitment to make the American dream available to the kid on the street in Detroit or the girl living in a trailer park in Silva, North Carolina. In It's a Wonderful Life, the Frank Capra classic, George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, delivers a fiery speech to some businessmen, including the wicked and powerful Mr. Potter, about the common folk of their town, Bedford Falls. Here's a part of his outburst that's relevant to the divide in our country today. Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. End quote. No, for the last 18 months, Jeff Minnick says, and particularly since January of this year, we've seen many Americans treated like cattle. No, worse than cattle. Because ranchers or farmers care about the health and safety of their livestock. Our elite's disassociation from the reality of life lived by the rest of us comes in part from a conviction of superiority. In the article, The Dangers of Ego in Leadership, on the executive training website Cashbox Coaching, the author writes that a leader's inflated ego comes from a sense of superiority and certainty that exceeds the bounds of confidence and talent. It is this kind of egotism which some might call narcissism, that reigns in our ruling class. The members of that class and many of their followers believe they have the right to dictate to the rest of us because they think of us as their inferiors. Because of the need to protect their sense of superiority, the executive coach tells us, egoists are often disconnected from the world, often naive about its workings. Ignorance of the law, as the saying goes, is not an excuse, nor is ignorance of what those one wishes to govern. Someday... Maybe, not now, but not soon, but someday, a reckoning is coming for these people. Boy, that's one to get you thinking now, isn't it? Some would hear that as a call for revolution. I think I choose to hear that as a call for turn your back on them. Withdraw your consent. Make them irrelevant. Either way, they're not going to get what they want. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Very grateful to the sponsors who make it possible for me to do my show. I'm doing my best to get information to you that will hopefully expand your view of the world, whether you agree with it or not. It's, it's not the point of, well, I only want to share stuff that you're going to find, you know, agreeable. Because frankly, I realize this, uh, this program is not for everybody. What I am offering on a daily basis for a couple of hours a day isn't what everybody wants. And there was a time that would have hurt my feelings. How could that be? I'm trying so hard. But you know what? The reality is that's life. Some people are just not interested in it. Some people are not prepared. Some people are, are just, you know, diametrically opposed to it because of, of where they stand and where, what they believe in. And that's okay. Because what drives me to crack open this mic every single day and, and to do the research necessary to find interesting and enlightening articles that I can shovel in your direction is the knowledge that there are people who are desperately and deliberately seeking better understanding. That's why I do what I do. And if you're one of those people, I'm very grateful that you're part of my audience. I want to recommend, by the way, the, the uh, Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. If you are in the process of moving to the great state of Utah, this is the team you should count on for helping you get your financing squared away to uh, purchase the home of your dreams. From VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is there to help you get the loan you need without delay. And they have decades of experience to make it happen. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You can check out their office at 619 South Bluff in St. George or call 435-703-4522. So equality before the law used to be a foundational principle of a free and just society. But the current push that we are seeing to expand registration for military conscription, conscription, in other words, uh, registering for the draft, to women might just be over the line. Saw a great piece from Thomas L. Knapp, and this is one I thought was worth sharing. He says, in a rare moment of moral clarity, U.S. Senator Tom Cotton points out that America's daughters shouldn't be drafted against their will. Now, as a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee... The usually bellicose Cotton voted against advancing the upcoming National Defense Authorization Act after committee chair Jack Reed added an amendment requiring women between the ages of 18 and 25 to register with the Selective Service System. Now, Thomas Knapp says, hey, it's good to see Cotton on the right side of an issue, as happens occasionally, very occasionally, and the NDAA being mostly unrelated to anything resembling actual natural, national defense, rather, deserves to go down hard for many reasons. But he asks, where is Cotton's opposition to requiring men to register for the draft? In the early 1970s, the U.S. Armed Forces transitioned to an all-volunteer force after drafting 2.2 million men into its Vietnam War machine between 1964 and 1973. About 1.5 million Americans were drafted for the Korean War, 10 million for World War II, and 2.8 million for World War I. Now, draft registration ended in 1975, but resumed in 1980. Unfortunately, even during the darkest days of the nation-building fiasco in Afghanistan and the naked aggression of the U.S. invasion and occupation of Iraq, 
Congress quailed from reinstating the draft and allowed the military to lower recruitment standards instead. Maybe that explains how a sociopath like Tom Cotton became an infantry officer. But nearly half a century after the last involuntary induction, the shadow of potential conscription, conscription rather, still looms over young Americans. Thomas L. Knapp says, in fact, many states have moved against the ability to resist draft registration as a form of civil disobedience. As a brave handful of Americans, including prominent libertarian commentator and personal mentor Paul Jacob, went to prison for doing in the early 1980s by automatically registering males who apply for driver's licenses or state ID cards. He says, both of my kids received postcards from Selective Service thanking them for registering even though they never did so. That's because the state of Florida did that for them. I actually watched my son go through this a couple of years ago. Same thing, the state of Utah. Thoughtfully registered him just in case we need you. Now, Supreme Court's rulings to to the contrary notwithstanding, conscription is clearly unconstitutional under the 13th Amendment. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Thomas Knapp says even if it wasn't unconstitutional, it would still be slavery, and slavery would still be wrong. So instead of registering women for potential slavery, draft registration should be ended entirely and permanently. I think I agree with him on this. Okay, final note here. Let's talk about the scapegoating of the unvaccinated. Holy cow, did we go from, you know, uh, hey, it'd be really nice if you got the, uh, got the vaccine. Hey, I'll give you a free hamburger. Hey, look, you could be in a lottery for a million dollars if you get the vaccine. To the voluntary phase has ended. Or simply calling it a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Somebody's trying to turn us into warring tribes. And this is one of the most effective tools that I have seen to date. It's crazy. Annie Holmquist, writing for intellectualtakeout.org, says the numbers don't support the scapegoating of the unvaccinated. She says if you're tired of the pandemic and you just want to go back to normal, David Frum at The Atlantic has news for you. It's all the stupid people who refuse to take the vaccine that are prolonging our COVID misery. She says, oh, wait, that's not it exactly. In actuality, it's all Trump's fault. From once a leading voice of the conservative establishment declares pro-Trump America has decided that vaccine refusal is a statement of identity and a test of loyalty. And Annie Holmquist points out that's an odd statement given Trump was in favor of the covid vaccine, got it himself and even launched Operation Warp Speed to develop and roll out the vaccine quickly. And Frum also seems to forget that many liberals have been skeptical of the vaccine as well, while numbers of conservatives, including Alabama Governor Kay Ivey, who recently suggested we blame the unvaccinated for the pandemic surge, have staunchly supported the vaccine. Isn't it odd that uh, stupidity and selfishness are the only possible reasons that we're given to consider as to why someone might not be down to accept the vaccine? Seems like that's kind of a limited, uh, you know, bit of debate. That's the only possible thing. You're just being stupid and you're just being selfish. 
As Annie Holmquist points out, the fact is many unvaccinated people may not be acting out of willfulness or willfulness rather or spite, as Frum suggests. They may instead be looking at the data and wisely expressing caution until more is known about the vaccine and its effects. More information is surfacing on that front every day, but you probably wouldn't know it unless you look past the talking points of our ruling elites. In a recent article, she says uh, Alex Berenson, a New York Times reporter turned author, explained that the U.S. doesn't give the full truth about who's dying or who's even having complications from the COVID vaccine. The official narrative advanced by Dr. Anthony Fauci and others is that the unvaccinated are the ones getting sick and dying, but the data shows that narrative is false. Berenson notes that official numbers in the U.S. do not include the partially vaccinated. Authorities claim a person's not fully protected until several weeks after they've had both doses. So anyone who's received a shot but has not completed the full course of treatment is treated as unvaccinated for statistical purposes. Now, that's not how things are usually done with most medical treatments, nor is it the case in other countries. Thus, many U.S. COVID cases in the last few months attributed to unvaccinated individuals actually occurred in folks who were partially vaccinated, a fact that's often suppressed and never reaches the ears of mainstream America. She goes on to quote Alexander Solzhenitsyn who talks about how violence finds its only refuge in falsehood and falsehood its only support in violence. The two things are absolutely paired. And she says, we are being throttled with ever more force. A fact revealed by Berenson's information about COVID as well as the increasing censorship that he's encountering. And this throttling will only continue in the weeks ahead, not only with regard to COVID, but in other realms as well. The question we must ask ourselves is whether we will allow this throttling and violence to continue. If we don't speak up, then we're a party to falsehood and violence just as much as are the elites. It's time to make a conscious choice about whether to choose truth or falsehood. Now that's a decision a lot of people are going to find very uncomfortable. Unless they're in the habit of trying to think clearly and independently. I strongly suspect you fall into the camp of the ones who would choose truth over falsehood. Thanks again for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. Please subscribe to the podcast and visit the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.